glorious, beautiful Lord's Day. Amen. And I repeat again how delighted and excited I am with regard to the direction of this church. Pulpit Search Committee, job well done. And the relationship with Lucas and me continues to just grow. One day alone, I didn't count them. 25, 35 texts back and forth, just interacting, prayerful, excited. I love him and the Lord. I know he it's not a done thing, but I'm confident. And I pray you are looking forward to this too. Turn with me. Let's just do this. It sets the context for us now to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8 is as far as we'll get today. Let us stand for the reading of God's word, though. Colossians 3, 5 through 8. I have the New American Standard in front of me. Therefore, put to death, consider the members of your earthly body to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God will come. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. Hmm. The word of God, you may see it. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your precious breathe out, holy, inerrant, infallible word. And as we consider today this flow by thy spirit through the apostle from indicative to imperative, from what you, God, hath done on our behalf, to the therefore, this is how you live. Grace us, Lord. Grace us with soft hearts, hearing ears, seeing eyes, and help us to allow you to mold and shape this lump of clay more into the image of Christ. Humbly we pray this in his name. Amen. Some of you may have done this. I don't know. I've never done it. But 
if this summer I were to go back to Joplin, Missouri for my 47th high school reunion. Think of it. Some of you are beyond that, I know, but nearly five decades since I got out of high school. What would I see? What would I say? It would be a major shock to the system looking and examining what was there versus now, what I was then, what I am now. Well, what we have thus far seen is that at the moment we are saved, we died with Christ and were gloriously raised with him. Colossians 2, flip back a page, 2, 11 through 12. In Christ also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism. See the correspondence between circumcision and baptism there. In which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Amen. Believer, this positional reality must, however, be worked out, worked out in the believer's day-to-day life. For there can be no holiness or maturity in Christ if sin runs unchecked. Gloriously, We are dead to the penalty of sin, dead to the power of sin, but we will not until glorification be dead to the presence of sin, both in ourselves, read Romans 7, and in the world itself. So the child of God is in a continual state, a continual process of killing sin, putting to death sin by yielding to the inner promptings of the Holy Spirit flowing from the word of Christ which dwells in you richly. That is God's protocol. That is his M.O. method of operation. Sam is now for the believer like a deposed monarch who no longer reigns, cannot condemn, but works very hard to both debilitate and devastate the lives of his former slaves. Some of us have been feeling that effect. 
sin is still potent for misery and or success. Sin is still potent for misery and the God grace success against it demands the Holy Spirit's presence in the scripture that you are richly hiding up in your heart. Now there is an immediate problem potential there. I think you see it. So if Paul's theology here is a theology of grace, the practical response is gratitude in both action and in word. In other words, just a second. That. In other words, child of God, putting sin to death is not optional to you. But some of us live like it is. Putting sin to death is not an option to the Christian. Richard Baxter wrote, Use sin as it will use you. Spare it not, for it will not spare you. It is your murderer and the murderer of the world. Kill it before it kills you. And though it bring you to the grave as it did Christ thy head, it shall not be able to keep you in the grave. <laughs> so to be a Christian is to die to self, die to ambition, die to ego, die to pride. It is to bow humbly and in submission to Christ's Lordship over every aspect of your life. So in Colossians 3, 5, the soul of the ESV is a therefore, which refers to the truths of the first four verses, because all scripture constantly links doctrine with practice. It is an aberration to have doctrine that does not touch the practice of how you speak, behave, think, what attitude you walk in. Thus, in verses 5 through 9, Paul gives two lists that a believer will be put into death. Look at verse 5, please. The sins of verse 5 deal with sexual sins, but examine them with your eyes for a moment. They move from specifics to motives. Very significant. Now look at verse 8. The sins of verse 8 deal with sinful speech behaviors, but this time moving from motive to actual behavior. So explanation. 
3.5. The theological concept behind all this is be what you are. Be what you are. Become what you are. Become in actual practice what you now are by divine action. That is the thrust of the teaching. ESV's translation of the opening word of verse 5, the main verb of verse 5 is good, put to death. The word in the Greek is nekros, from which we get the word necromancy. Nekros, dead, kill. Sexual immorality, the word in the Greek is self-explanatory, pornaya. But you can't guess what word we get from that, pornaya. Sexual immorality. First Thessalonians 4.3, Paul says, This is God's will, the will of God, your sanctification. He's talking to those who are already justified. And this is the will of God for you, believer, you, child of God, your sanctification. And then he explains that you abstain from sexual immorality. What's that? Any sexual action outside of sacred marriage. Take it deeper, though, all of Matthew 5. Any sexual thought, ideation, imaginings outside of sacred marriage. We are awash in sexual immorality. Awash in it. Next word. Impurity, moral corruption, a good word, filthiness, filthiness, uncleanness. And here is a movement beyond the act of sexual immorality to the evil thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we're moving from action down to the bottom line, inner motive of heart. Christ said, Matthew 5, this is one of the coat pegs you need to have in your head. Matthew 5, verse 27. You've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Youth, which commandment is that? Anna, Daniel, Noah, Joseph. Commandment seven. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say to everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, 
has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's hard. That's Christ. Sin begins in the imagination. Be careful what you use your imagination for. Some of us every night break all ten commandments in our imaginations and then think we're religiously good because we're not like the prostitute. Hmm. So a thought reap an attitude. So an attitude reap an action. So an action reap a habit. So a habit reap a character. So a character reap a destiny. <coughs> filthy thoughts yield filthy actions, yield filthy men and women. And it all begins with what you're thinking about. Now, it's not just what you are actively thinking about, but it's what you are passively thinking about. What in the world do you mean by that, Jim? The show you're watching, which is filled with filth, and you are passively taking it in. You didn't produce it, but you're swallowing it, hook, line, and sinker. Hmm. Pastoral reflection. Being called, you are being called to kill your habit of a particular TV show or series. And I don't even know what some of you are now thinking about, but you do. And that's the Spirit of God. So don't get mad, get repentant, and take action. We're being called to kill a habit of a particular TV show, series, YouTube, whatever it is on the screen, in the magazine, through the music or book. Kill it. Put it to death, Paul says. Well, how? Here's a practical scripture in Romans 13, 14. Put immorality and impurity to death whenever, wherever it rises up. Romans 13, 14. Write it down. Memorize this. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That show you know you shouldn't be watching. You are making provision for your flesh through it. Much repentance needs to happen. And dear brother, sister, a repentance without regret. 
don't regret what you repent of and go back like a dog to its vomit, Peter says. Evil behavior begins with evil thoughts. Therefore, the battle against all sin, especially sexual sin, begins up here in the mind because evil thoughts produce sinful behavior. Pure thoughts produce righteous behavior. And this is why Paul counsels in Philippians 4, Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence or if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And Colossians 3, 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Next two words in verse 5, passion and evil desire. Here is identified a strong emotional desire or affection for what is evil. And perhaps the difference between the two is that passion is the physical side of the evil desire, of the evil, and evil desire is the mental side. So mental side, evil desire, stirs up passion, physical desire. In fact, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, these terms appear side by side where Paul commands Christians are not to live in the, quote, passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Such behavior is entirely inappropriate for the child of God. And that's why when you have walked in it, you felt so rotten inside, guilty inside, shamed inside. And the typical response of a man or woman doing that, living that, is anger. Misplaced, though. Anger towards wife or husband, children, co-workers, when the anger should be itself. Next word, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, track with me, <laughs> because the danger is that some of us have been sitting, applauding, give it to him, Jim, give it to him. Because I'm not doing the sexual immorality or impurity. Why does Paul 
and on the tenth commandment. Thou shalt not covet, because it is the root of all the rest. Listen, William Barclay, covetousness is the root cause of all sin. It is a sin with a very wide range. If it is the desire for money, it leads to theft. If it is the desire for prestige, it leads to evil ambition. If it is the desire for power, it leads to tyranny. If it is the desire for a person, it leads to sexual sin. Mm. Sexual sins arise because people have an uncontrolled, though not put in check, desire for more and more experiences and pleasures. And such a desire, Paul says, is nothing less than idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry because it involves setting one's affections on earthly things, not on things above. And therefore the putting of some other object of desire in the place where God alone should occupy in his children's hearts. The virtue, which is the opposite of this vice, is contentment. <laughs> contentment. A contented person will not desire to violate another person sexually or cover anything that person owns because with Paul, this person will say, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. Contentment. And contentment comes from trusting thy blessed Savior. If you can't trust him in the day-to-day lots, situations that he gives you, you're going to be a very discontented person, coveting what is not your lot, not your circumstance. Personal reflection. You worship God more by contentment than when you come to hear a sermon or spend an hour in prayer or when you receive a sacrament. These are acts of God's worship, but they are only external acts of worship to hear and pray and receive the sacrament. But contentment is the soul's worship to subject itself thus to God. 
in active obedience. We worship God by doing what he has told us pleases him. Do this in remembrance of me. But by passive obedience, we do as well worship God by being pleased and content with what God is doing to and with us. I sit before you as a man who struggles And I do come, comes in waves, but by and large, I am far more content than I ever have been. Failure to go that path would be utterly disastrous for me inside. He is the only answer to your circumstance. So Paul, having given one list of sins to kill, putting them to death, Paul pauses before going on to the next list by giving strong motivations to put those sins to death. Look at them, verses 6 and 7. First, sin brings God's wrath. Count on it. And it may not be wrath in way of damnation. It may be Hebrews 12, wrath by way of discipline for the purpose of sanctification. Second, verse 7, sin is the believer's past, not present. Huge. These sins are your past. They are not to be your present. Spurgeon was rather don't listen to him. Christian, what hast thou to do with sin? Hast it not cost thee enough already? Burnt child, wilt thou go play with the fire again? What, when thou hast already been between the jaws of the lion, wilt thou step a second time into his den? Hast thou not had enough of the old serpent? Did he not poison all thy veins once? And wilt thou play upon the hole of the viper a second time? Oh, be not so mad, so foolish. Did sin ever yield thee real pleasure? Didst thou find solid satisfaction in it? If so, <clears throat> go back to thine old drudgery and wear the chain again if it delight thee. 
but inasmuch as sin never did give thee what it promised to bestow, but deluded thee with lies, be not a second time snared. Be free, and let the remembrance of thy ancient bondage forbid thee stepping into the Father's net again. Not to embarrass, but because I love him. Welcome, Andrew. It is good to see you. I'm glad you're here. Anger and wrath. Verse 8. Anger and wrath. Anger is a deep-seated, smoldering, resentful bitterness of heart. Deep-seated, smoldering, resentful bitterness of heart. Provocations do not create the anger, but merely reveal that he is an angry person or she is an angry person by freshly giving another target for fury. Fury. Wrath is a contrast. Wrath is a sudden outburst of volcanic venom spewing from an angry heart. Here is the explosion which, when spent, often subsides. But it will be back because of the underlying angry heart. And if you have ever been told by someone what you did made me angry, that person is lying to you and lying to himself or herself. No one makes you angry. You choose to be an angry man, an angry woman. And Paul says, kill it. Put it to death. Put it off. A image that helped me. Anger is the molten state in the center of the earth. 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit, I read. Surface of the sun, temp. Incredible. Molten state of liquid rock and ores. The volcano, what's that? Well, that's the wrath. That's the outburst that just destroys collaterally. But what's it based on? The inner state of that person's heart. Always. Malice, third word. The vicious nature bent on doing harm to others. At this point, the Genesis 14 passage 
the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete begins to play itself out. Because now we're not just angry and volcano-like, but we actually enjoy wounding others. So these three words, anger, wrath, and malice, depict the anger and ill will that often leads to hasty and nasty speech. Jesus tells us that out of the mouth proceed the thoughts and intents of the heart. So what comes out was already in there. She didn't make you do that. He didn't make you do that. It was already in there. And Christ says to you, kill it. Put it to death. Now let's take this deeper. St. Clark Ferguson. Quote, but what if we translate the word here as exasperation? Oh, there's no Presbyterian sitting here who hasn't been touched by that. What if we translate the word here as exasperation, a simmering agitation of the feelings? Surely this cannot be classed as a sin, being impatient or irritated when things go wrong, can it? Oh, yes. Because this is to remove God from our perspective. For the cause of impatience and exasperation is in our response to the providential hand by which God superintends our lives ordering our steps to arrive at our present circumstance. You didn't get where you are against the will of God. It is his purpose, directly or permissively, that has enabled, facilitated you being right in the circumstance that you are in. So at the end of, back to first, at the end of the day, the deep object of my exasperation is the Lord Jesus himself. That rather changes things, doesn't it? <laughs> Who am I really irritated with, exasperated with, feeling very impatient with, my sweet master? Now, if you're not reformed, you don't understand that. But just because you're reformed doesn't mean you believe it. Although exasperation spells spiritual danger, 
Ferguson again. Yet most of us do not think of it as a serious sin, but it is. Exasperation is an expression of the warped, distorted old life in Adam. Being Adamic, it is unchristlike and needs to be put to death, put off, for at its heart is a self exaltation over others and this dissatisfaction with the way God is ordering and orchestrating the events of my life. Hmm. Now, confession. You don't have to like your circumstances to bend the knee and say, I yield to thy wiser determinations. I don't like my circumstances, but I am grateful for them, thankful, recognizing it from his hand. I really don't have much choice, except I could become angry and bitter. Don't want that. So I say, be it done unto me according to thy word. It brings peace. It brings peace. It does not solve the problem you face. Heaven does that, but it brings his promised peace in the here and now. Well, that was a blend of Ferguson and Claycomb, but you can extract one from the other. Slander. The angry volcanic heart filled with ill will often pours out slander. But a believer's speech must not be marred by insults and disparaging remarks directed at others. James laments. He James picks up the poetic frame with which Jesus speaks. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. A bad tree can't produce good fruit. James picks this up in James 3.10 and laments that out of the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be you shouldn't be able to walk out of here praising God and then go say a filthy word to your husband or wife or get angry at her or him. It shouldn't be when you are talking to someone about someone else. Why are you doing that? That's huge. When you are talking 
when I am talking to someone else, to someone about a third party who's not present, I need to ask myself, why am I doing this? Is this juicy information that's called gossip and perhaps slander? Is this secret insider information that somehow makes me look better in my eyes to people? Then it's called gossip and perhaps slander. Does your listener have a right to know or a need to know? If not, it's called gossip and perhaps slander. We need to tame what we talk about badly because if I'm not part of the solution, redemptive talk, if it's not redemptive talk, then in the name of my blessed Savior, what in the world do I think I'm doing talking to you about them? But it goes deeper. What in the world do you think you're doing listening to somebody talk about someone else? We need to clean this up. Obscene talk is the fifth identified word in verse 8. Here is foul mouth abuse, filthy language. <laughs> Ephesians 5, 4. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude jesting, joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thankfulness and thanksgiving. Matthew 12, 35 says, The good person out of his, evil, out of his good treasure brings forth good. The evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. So, dear believer, impure words cannot be consistent with the purity of the new creation who is setting his or her mind on things above. So, brothers, sisters, I warned you, Colossians is the most heavily laden epistle in the New Testament for imperatives. And that's where we are today. We have examined two lists of vices we are told to put to death, to put off, to discard. Sexual immorality impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk. Why? Because God's children do not continue to walk in these manifestations of the old Adam, doctrine, here's the truth, 
of who you are. You've been raised up with Christ. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are being renewed in a epigenosco, a true knowledge of Jesus Christ. And next Sunday, we will turn to the glorious exposition of the virtues that when we put this filthy stuff off, this is what we put on in its place. Back to the high school union. When I think back to who I was then, I don't like me. If I'd been Tammy's father, I would never have let her marry me. Never. I don't like what I was. I look back at all that stuff. That's not me today. That's what Paul's doing here. He's taking you back to an old first Adam reunion. This is what they used to do. This is what you used to do. But a believer doesn't live like that. Sure, you had a high school sweetheart, but you're married now. How dare you go back to an old flame? That would be adultery of the heart. Sure, you were involved in actions and activities, but you're a new man in Christ now. So you say no to the reunion. I don't want to be what I was. I want to put these things to death, and I want to put these things to death, and particularly, perhaps today, particularly embrace contentment. You take the physical vices down to the base, and God says at its root, it is a violation of the 10th commandment. Thou shalt not covet. What does God want in you? Not just somebody who doesn't do that. He wants somebody who's content in Christ with my circumstances in life. <laughs>